In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. The name of the operetta has long left me, but I remember that it called for a gong. Our school in Forest Hills didn't have a gong, but somehow I knew that there was one at a school across town. <laughs> and that's not all. The really amazing thing was that the teacher believed me. After a phone call or two, she and I were off to get it. Even though the whereabouts of the gong had been confirmed, I sat in the passenger seat of her car with a certain amount of fear and trepidation. <laughs> what if there was a mix-up and the gong wasn't there when we arrived? It took a few minutes to locate our contact in the other school, but there were no issues once we found him. He took us straight to the gong. And it was even better than I remembered it. It hung about three feet off the floor from a metal frame, and it came with a big mallet. The surface of the gong was approximately two feet wide and two feet in height. My teacher from Forest Hills immediately got visibly excited. Oh, she shrieked, it's perfect. What a beauty. Then, taking the mallet, she struck the gong with a good hard whack right in the middle. And instantly, the room filled with a loud metallic reverberation. And we all grinned from ear to ear. <laughs> it's very possible that St. Paul referred to a noisy gong or as the prayer book version says, sounding brass, because a big gong or cymbal was hung at the entrance of most pagan temples and was used to wake the pagan gods, they people thought, so that they would listen to prayers. The point, of course, is simple. There may be plenty of noise in a gong, but there's nothing more. The best speech, the best words spoken in heaven or earth, if they're spoken without love, are just a noise. It sounds straightforward. Our hearts need to be filled with the love of God. Otherwise, we're just making noise. Knowledge, however, does not always translate into action, as we all know. Sometimes, oftentimes, we're like the noisy gong or the clanging cymbal. Like the apostles in today's gospel, we understand none of these things, and the saying is hid from us. When that happens, we lose sight of the Lord Jesus and the way of the cross the way of his perfect love. A spiritual blindness comes over us. There are, of course, lots of causes for this spiritual blindness, and we heard some of them last week in the parable of the sower. 
the seed of God's word could not grow and bear fruit in the soil of the pathway, in the soil of the stony ground, or in the thorn patch soil. Why? Because in each of these, there was a divided heart. The temptations of the cares, riches, and pleasures of this life divide the affections of our hearts. These temptations, as we all know, are powerful because the fallen nature within us is selfish and greedy. As the ninth article of religion says, man is very far gone from original righteousness and is of his own nature inclined to evil so that the flesh lusteth always contrary to the spirit. In the end, the truth is, as E.B. Pusey put it, although God remakes broken hearts and fills them with love, he cannot fill a divided heart. He cannot fill a divided heart. That, of course, is the point of the first of the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods but me. In leaving Egypt after some 430 years, the Israelites were used to a culture of many deities. For example, there was Horus, the Egyptian sky god, Re, goddess of the sun, Osiris, god of the Nile River, Seth, god of the desert, and Hathor, goddess of fertility, to name a few. The Israelites had witnessed the debilitating effects of superstition and paranoia which this belief system had on the Egyptians. Therefore, upon delivering his people from their slavery, the Lord God Almighty insisted that they separate themselves completely from paganism. His very first commandment told them, without mincing any words, you shall have no other gods but me. Basically, God told Israel, I must be your one and only. I must be your one and only. In Jesus' words, hundreds and hundreds of years later, no one can serve two masters. The inevitable result of a divided heart is spiritual blindness and lukewarmness. We lose sight of what is true and eternal. We begin to compromise because we've lost sight. And once on that slippery slope, the desire for holiness fades. We can get so lost beginning with a compromise that we completely lose our way. Some of the old-fashioned expressions describe it as a divided heart pretty well. Sitting on the fence, a foot in both camps, running hot and cold. The root of this condition is simple. Our heart becomes divided when we love God 
because we want something or need something from him. This is a key point. Our heart becomes divided when we love God for what we can get from him. I love God, for example, because without him I cannot be saved. I love God because I hope to live to be a hundred. I love God because I'm afraid of what might happen if I don't. I go to church and pledge my love for God to build up some spiritual credit and as a sort of spiritual life insurance policy. In each case, I love God only for what he can do for me. I have placed myself at the center of my life, my selfish self, and everything must fit with my wants and desires. This decision, this approach to faith leaves very little room for the Lord Jesus Christ. The dark, cramped space of my selfish heart gives him just what is left over. In response to this predicament, E.B. Pusey said, God alone can lead men out of this state, and this he does as they unlearn self. That's a helpful phrase to me. We must unlearn self. Perhaps it was a divided heart that caused the apostles to understand none of these things. We don't know this for sure. But here's why I would say that. Jesus had just spoken to them about rewards. The passage just prior to the beginning of today's gospel includes the encounter of the rich young ruler with the Lord Jesus. The rich young ruler wanted to know what he had to do to inherit eternal life. After Jesus told him to go and sell all of his belongings and distribute the money to the poor, St. Peter chimed in, and you can hear him say, shoot, we've left our homes and followed you. Jesus told the young ruler, you got to sell everything you have and come and follow me. Peter says, we've just done that. We left our homes and followed you. In response, Jesus said, there's no one who has left house or wife or brother or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Was it this promise of receiving many times more that caused Peter and the others not to hear what Jesus was saying in terms of suffering, dying, and rising again at Jerusalem? But this was not just something missed by the apostles. It could have been any one of us. If a divided heart and the hope of rewards was the cause of their selective hearing, every human being is susceptible. So what can we do? E.B. Pusey asked his congregation this. 
Since the love of God is so great and so necessary a gift, how may we know that we have it? And how can we grow in it? And then he answered his own question with a simple answer. Ask yourself this. How is it with those you dearly love on earth? You gladly think of them when they're absent. You joy in their presence. Love makes them seem to be present with you, even when in body they are absent. You are glad to turn from conversation with others in order to speak with them. One word or look of theirs is sweeter than all the words of another person. What Pusey described is a beautiful longing for togetherness, for communion. In thinking about this, let's consider today's epistle. Inspired by the Holy Spirit to define what true love looks like, St. Paul wrote those words which are often read at Christian weddings. Those beautiful words, these words, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Although many, many brides and grooms have picked these to be read on their big day, they were actually written to describe the love of God. True love does not insist on its own way. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rather with the truth. This describes the love which caused God to send his only begotten son into the world to be humiliated, to suffer, and to die for us. As the saying goes, it was not the nails that kept Jesus on the cross, but his love for you and me. It's difficult to imagine that the Lord of the universe longs, truly longs, to hear a loving word and a little thanksgiving from us each day. And yet, even in his omnipotence, this is what he desires. His ear is open to us always. He waits for us to speak with him about our worries and our cares, and he yearns to have us with him in eternity. He sent his only begotten son because he loves us so much. Charity, as Paul wrote to the Corinthians, suffers long. Sadly, I continue to be distracted and preoccupied, thinking of God only when I need something from him. If things are going smoothly, it's so easy to forget about him. Maybe this is where the pandemic carries a hidden blessing. 
Many of our distractions and preoccupations have been shut down. The constant running around that, that has distracted us for so long has been stopped. And we've been left with ourselves to see who we really are, to see the condition of our hearts, and to unlearn self. I've been slowed down and given an opportunity to hear how my words are so often like a noisy gong, lacking the patience and the kindness of God's love. It cannot be a coincidence that the apostles who did not understand what Jesus said about his approaching suffering and death, in the next moment encountered with Jesus the blind man at Jericho. They were blind to what Jesus was saying, and then they met a blind man who was healed. We're short-sighted, just like them. We understand so little about God's love for us, the love he demonstrated at Jerusalem. Our divided hearts are blind, but the Lord bears with us patiently, knocking at the door of our hearts, calling us, and hoping that we will allow him to come in. He wants so much to fill our hearts with his holy love. And perhaps that's a blessing of this pandemic. It has afforded us time for the most important thing, to re-examine and to renew our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. In his book entitled Preaching, Presbyterian minister Tim Keller writes, whatever captures the heart's trust and love also controls the feelings and behavior. What makes people into what they are is the order of their loves. Your loves show what you actually believe in, not what you say you do. Where is your love directed? When is it directed? When it is directed at things other than God, when your heart is divided toward God, you will be indifferent, you will be inwardly indifferent to the truth. Today, as we prepare to move into the season of Lent, to begin our annual journey to the cross, a vision has been set before us. The heavenly vision of God's love. There's a wonderful opportunity for us to look deeply into our hearts for that vision, to ask ourselves where our love is directed. If it's divided, there's time now, and there is a vision now to change, to help us change it. There's time, there's this gracious season of spiritual renewal in Lent to love God more than we love ourselves. There's time to love him for who he is, not just for what we think he can give us. The way forward is simple, and in the words of E.B. Pusey, with which we'll close, here it is. Come to him. 
Come to him longing for his love. Come to him that he may come to you. Pray him to enter into your soul and pour his love into you, and he will come. And if you forsake him not, he will dwell in you everlastingly. Behold, Jesus said, we go up to Jerusalem. So let us go. Let us go with our Lord and learn of his life-giving love. Now unto God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost be ascribed all might, majesty, dominion, power, honor, and glory, as is most justly due, henceforth and forevermore. Amen. Amen.